Hello and welcome to the show. Are you a perfectionist? Are you a people pleaser? Are you often hard on yourself? Or do you have those tendencies some of the time, if not all of the time? If so, this is the episode for you. My guests and I talk about perfectionism and why it is there, how it serves us, how it doesn't serve us, and most importantly, what to do about it. So let me tell you about my guest today. Her name is Homera Kabir, and she holds a master's degree in counseling psychology and positive psychology, the science of human flourishing and well-being. She has over a decade of experience as a life coach. She's the founder and CEO of the Goodbye Perfect Project, which she launched with the mission to bring science-backed, soulful support to help people break free of unhealthy patterns and find their own purpose, voice, and impact. She's been featured in lots of publications on the topic of belonging and positive psychology. And her book, which came out last year, I love the title. You can get it anywhere books are sold. It's called Goodbye Perfect, How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. And of course, Inner Child came up in this podcast. And as you know, we started our Reconnect course this past week. It's not too late to join us if you still want to come in. You can make up the calls, definitely not too late. You can just email support at christinehasser.com and we can get you in. You'll see in this episode that something like perfectionism, it comes back to childhood. And if I were to give my answer of how we shift any of these things, it is inner child work. So if you still want in, just email support at christinehasler.com. I want to thank my sponsor for today, Organifi. Organifi has been a longtime sponsor of my show because I love them so much. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. I love all their products. Today, I'm going to highlight their red juice. This is what I do instead of coffee. (laughs) I really love their red juice. It is a delicious superfood berry blend of premium organic superfoods that contain potent adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps. This is how you promote energy with zero caffeine and only two grams of sugar. Everything is 100% organic, super antioxidant rich, tastes delicious even in plain water, no need for a blender, helps increase and support and promote energy with natural herbs, additional mushrooms, and antioxidants. So I have it at around like 2.33 when that lull rolls around and it's a way to just like regulate my blood sugar and help me just have a bit of a boost with zero caffeine. It's in a healthy way. You can put it in your purse or your backpack or whatever, put it in a water bottle, shake it up, and there you go. Also, I don't know if you know this, but your purchase of Organifi Red Juice does make a difference. Organifi partners with Vitamin Angels to work to prevent illness, blindness, and vitamin deficiency for innocent children suffering across the globe. So know that your purchase is doing good as well. You can get 20% off all of your Organifi orders when you go to Organifi.com slash over it or use promo code over it at checkout. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. Use promo code over it at checkout. All right. And now on to my conversation with Homera. Homera, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Christine. 
Well, I'm excited to dive into our conversation because one of the things that we're going to talk about today is perfectionism. And I think within that, we can't talk about perfectionism without talking about people pleasing as well. And I know that perfectionism is a big thing that I've struggled with and didn't even really know that I struggled with it because I was like, my therapist right now, well, she's like a coach therapist who I hired after I had my child and she specializes in in mothers. And she's been so helpful. And and she's like, I really see your perfectionism coming out with Athena. And Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not trying to like get it perfect. And I don't really, I don't feel my perfectionist. I really let a lot of that go. And she says, well, it can be subtle. Mm -hmm. So like you just trying to make sure like she's okay all the time is Mm -hmm. perfectionism. I'm like, wait, isn't that just love? Mm -hmm. And she says, well, it's kind of tricky because a lot of times the way that we love is by trying to get everything perfect. Mm -hmm. And we have these like subtle nuances of the way perfectionism shows up that we're often not even aware of. So I'd love to begin this conversation with having you define sort of the obvious ways that perfectionism shows up in our life and then maybe pinpoint some of the more subtle ways. Like I didn't even realize you know, I thought I was just loving her and taking care of her. I didn't even realize there were elements of perfectionism coming in. So some of the more subtle ways that perfectionism can show up in our life and it can be so subconscious, we don't even realize it. Exactly, exactly. So that's a wonderful way to start this conversation, Christine. Thank you. We all know the the evident forms of perfectionism, right? I mean, it can almost be obsessive in the way you need something exactly as you want it to be. And those are just very clear or you want to you just keep going over and over a presentation before you put it out or you know just dotting all the i's crossing all the t's those are all the ones that we all recognize and we say ah that is perfectionism i need to let go of it but then like you said the more subtle forms of perfectionism because who we are as a self is always in relation to the people around us what we do and our own emotions So, you know, the kind of perfectionism that you talk about with your kid, uh, that could have a lot to do with wanting to feel emotion, like wanting your emotional landscape to be calm, to be just feeling in control, you know, that everything is going fine. That is perfectionism over our inner world. Then there's perfectionism that comes out in when we're around people when we start becoming people pleasers because then we want that relationship to be perfect and then there's the perfectionism that comes out in our work the work that we do or how we show up every day am I being perfect am I looking perfect am I was I perfect in how I had that interaction was I perfect in what I ate was I perfect you know everything just becomes so intertwined because perfectionism just has so many ways it shows up. But basically, I like to divide it into these three elements, your inner self, your inner landscape, your emotional landscape, how you are with other people and how you show up in life. And that life could be your work. It could be just your regular interactions or how you walk, how you talk, etc., But essentially, these three areas, because the self, like I said, the self, there's no area in the brain that is just the self. It is always in relation to people and places. So when we think about perfectionism, when we think about that, it is always, you would see it in one or more of these different places. 
How has it been? Do you mind sharing how it's shown up in your life and why this has become an area of passion for you? In my own life, yes, it has shown up in my work. It has shown up in my relationships, the people pleasing, the perfectionism at work. It has shown up in so many ways, Christine. If I think about it, it has shown up in always being like a hard taskmaster in my own head, like a judge, mm-hmm. you know, always in my own head. You didn't say that right. You didn't sit right. You didn't stand right. It's It's been a constant voice in my head. I mean, I shared this in the book when I was way younger, when I was in my teenage years, I had an eating disorder. It lasted quite a number of years, six to eight years. And, you know, when when I was kind of, I would say, 30 or so, or perhaps a little bit older than that, I realized that the way I was showing up, all, always trying to be perfect in everything, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a as an employee, as a coach, I realized that some of what I said to myself was very similar in the way it sounded as what I would say to myself when I was going through the eating disorder. It had the same tyranny in the voice. It had the same kind of, you know, unforgiveness in the voice, momentary happiness if I did something right and, you know, beating down on myself if it didn't go right. And that kind of started my journey in trying to understand what is this voice? Why does it exist? How does it show up? Why does it change from one area of our lives to another? And how do we get rid of it so that we can live with more joy, more ease, and actually do the things that we actually want to do and the things that matter to us? Mm, I love that. What do you think some of the root causes of perfectionism are? I mean, you talked a little bit about it when you answered the first question, but I'd love to to dive deeper into family of origin. You know, where do you see this really showing up in our childhood? Yeah. So you see, I mean, I wrote the book and sometimes I like to point this out. The book is not called Goodbye Perfectionism. It's called Goodbye Perfect. It is saying goodbye to an identity that we kind of start embodying very early on in our lives. If it were a very simple black and white world, it would just come from the very early relationships that we have with our primary caregivers. So from attachment style. So if we grow up with insecure attachment in any way and primarily anxious or avoidant attachment, then it shows up. There is is that feeling of low self-worth that shows up as perfectionism. And in anxious attachment, it is more the pleasing, the perfectionism as we usually know it. Whereas in avoidant attachment, it is more wanting to prove yourself, wanting to prove yourself to be better, to be superior, to to have a perfect life, to have it all under control. And so that is where, you know, generally we look to. But then there is... I mean, you know, perhaps in our day and age, that was more the case. But, you know, now in current day and age, there are so many influences on a person growing up from those early attachment to, you know, the external world and our whatever's coming at us through our online interactions and, you know, perhaps later in life, our interactions at school, uh, little small T traumas that we go through all, all through life and how they collect on us and our own individual uh, propensities. Are we too sensitive? Well, let's not say too sensitive. Are we sensitive? Do we have an agreeable nature, our personality? 
all of these combine to make what I, I mean, for me, attachment style is a representation of all of this, but definitely those early relationships that we have with our caregivers play a huge role in that. Mm-hmm. So the, that is what all of these all of these things create imprints in our implicit minds, uh, what is below the conscious mind, and and it lives there. And it which is why a lot of the things that we do toward pleasing, toward perfectionism, all of those are largely unconscious. They are automatic, even when we try to let go of them we still feel guilty or we still feel wrong or we still live with so much internal unease that we kind of go and wipe it all out. Like you said, a boundary, mm. and then you feel so bad about it that perhaps you go and apologize or you go and kind of, you know, tone down the boundary or something or the other, or you try and let go of perfectionism, but it just keeps bothering you. And then you go back and you, you know, make it perfect or something of that sort. It is less lasting because that feeling is implicit. It is deep down within us. And unless we learn how to deal with that implicit, it is very hard to keep it lasting. And it's just so much harder just generally. It's like pushing a boulder up a mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, and that's one of the questions I get a lot is how do I quote unquote, get rid of my perfectionism, my people pleaser, my inner critic. I would say that the biggest ones that people ask me about are inner critic and perfectionist. And I think those two parts work together mm-hmm. and they feel like they're both protective parts that often work together. Mm-hmm. What have you seen and experienced in your work, in your life that actually helps people not play out so many perfectionistic patterns? Yeah. You know, Christine, at the end of the day, it is, <laughs> I call it a it's a framework that I built. It's called RISE and uh, it's an acronym. So basically it's about first just restoring calm in your brain. So, you know, that there's that inner critic or that inner panic or that inner voice or whatever it is, whatever you think to yourself, first just silence that. I mean, it's just creating a lot of drama. You cannot understand, you cannot see, you'll be reactive. So first of all, you do that, and then you inquire, the I, you inquire what's going on below that. You try to understand what is it, what am I really afraid of, what's going on here, what am I feeling? You try to get to the primary emotion that you have, because that is the one that you need to address, that is the one that you need to perhaps soothe or satisfy in some way, which is the S. And then the final part of it is the E, which is you're kind of going to take empowered action because self-compassion, the research makes this clear, is not just about, you know, just soothing or calming or being compassionate and saying, that's okay, what you feel is just uh, fine, let's just leave it at that. It's also the responsible action that you take after that. And so, you know, that responsible action could mean anything. It doesn't just have to be that you go out there and you do something huge. Responsible action could be just stay with that feeling and allow it to be responsible. Action could be speaking up. Responsible action could be apologizing or, you know, whatever it is. But we have to address what is at the bottom of it all. And we address that simply through emotion, simply through self-compassion, because that inner feeling that you have, whatever it is, that unease that you're feeling, that fear that you're feeling, that desire, impulse that you're feeling, 
it is deeply subconscious and you address it with emotion. You cannot talk logic to it. You cannot. It's like, you know, you have a little child, right? And you try to talk logic to them when they're having an emotional meltdown. That's not going to be very helpful at all. So you just first, you have to soothe them. You have to listen to them. And then you have to help them understand what is the responsible action here. I usually say, you know, use this acronym WIN, what's important now and what's important now will be dependent on every different situation. Mm, I love that. So can you just go through the letter and what it stands for one more time for RISE? RISE. So the first one is Restore Calm. The second is Inquire. Kind of you address, you inquire, you get to the implicit feeling that you're having, the emotion, the primary emotion. S is the soothe or satisfy, depending on what that primary emotion is. If it's fear, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to listen to it. You just don't, because that that inner, that, I mean, you know, you can call it the inner child. I know you like the word inner child. You you bring it up a lot in your work, which is just brilliant because it is that inner child. Mm-hmm. Some people call it the exile, whatever it is that you've suppressed there, or that's not having a say simply because that critic is just so loud and taking over the stage. And so you try to listen to that and try to satisfy it in whichever way is appropriate, depending on the emotion that it's feeling. And then once that's calmer, you try to engage your more wiser, courageous self, which is about just, you know, just a simple thing like what's important now? What will we do in this situation? You know, with a little child, that's more difficult. But as you get older, you try and as your more cognitive parts of you are developing, as the more conscious parts of you are developing, you help a child, you help yourself because that is your inner child as well connect to those more conscious parts of you and take responsible action. Mm, I love that. And this is, this is so great, especially when we know that we're in the pattern. Yes. What would be some ways to help us identify we're in the pattern when it's not so obvious? Like I gave that example for me when I didn't even realize that really perfectionism was at the root of a lot of what I was doing, you know, trying to get things right, trying to get things perfect. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if things are perfect and right, I'm in control. And if I'm in control, then I'm safe and yes. everyone around me is safe. Yeah. So like you said, it's all in an effort to try to control something. Yeah. So what would be some ways to recognize we're in a perfectionistic pattern yeah, we may not realize it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Because yeah, because the way we see perfectionism is, you know, it has become very much about that th- those things, those perfectionist tendencies, and we don't even recognize control as being one of them. So, I mean, you know, there are a few things. One, it is how you feel. I mean, you know, not it is like does it bring you joy? Because there is, you know, there, when we when we are acting in alignment with who we really are, our authentic nature, there is there's a lot of ease and there's a feeling of flow and there's joy that comes with it, and that is essentially it. But then you know it is sometimes hard to tell, like you said, because the mind is just it works in split seconds, right? So maybe the the joy that you're getting is just basically adrenaline adrenaline after you've done your perfectionist tendency Mm -hmm. or control the situation. And then you're thinking, okay, now I feel good. So it's difficult to tell, but you know, the more you become aware of it, the more you can connect to, to yourself and say, 
is this helping my child? Am I feeling joyful? Is this the kind of relationship I want? Like just building that self-awareness is one. Two, just being aware of, you know, does my child enjoy this? Because any kind of true love is love that's good for everyone, including yourself, right? So not just yourself and not just the other person, but are both being taken into account. With all my control, is my child able to flourish? Are they able to express themselves in a way, obviously, that is also safe? So, you know, all these different questions that you keep asking yourself. And then the third is like it happened for you, having people around you who who know you well enough and who have, you know, your best at heart, trusting relationships, who can point this out to you. So all of those different things are pathways into understanding. Am I just, you know, being, allowing myself to live and be the person I want to be? Or, you know, am I, yeah, am I being driven by the more uh, primitive parts of me? Mm, I think those are good questions. And I think that, you know, the overall, in what I'm hearing and what I work with myself is just noticing Yes. Our somatic responses too, like noticing what's happening in our body. Because sometimes our mind, it can just be so familiar to think the thoughts we're thinking and to act the ways that we're acting. But if I drop in, like if I have tightness in my chest, if I'm not breathing deeply, if I have knots in my belly, then that's a sign for me that I'm in some kind of coping pattern, that I'm in some kind of protective strategy. And it's like, noticing that, taking a deep breath and kind of going, okay, what, what am I thinking or believing right now? Mm-hmm. That's because like you're saying, right. Regulate, like calm, calm yourself down first yes. and then inquire, like, what am I believing? You know, what's the fear right now that yeah. that is underneath this. And what I have found so much in this work is there's no quick fix and awareness mm-hmm. is great. Like the awareness of where it came from and how it shows up in your life and how it's protecting the inner child, but the real shifting of it just comes into the daily notice and daily practicing. And the one thing that's been so helpful for me and my clients is to not shame or judge or think the perfectionist is bad because it served a purpose. It's protected us from a lot of things over the years. You know, the perfectionist thinks I'm protecting you from getting ridiculed or not fitting in or losing control or disappointing someone. So like it has a beautiful intention. And it's just, we have to find a way to have that same intention, like have that same feeling of safety without needing to be perfect. I mean, what you're saying is so beautiful and a hundred percent true, because the thing is that all these things, these perfectionist tendencies, they're part of, you know, I mean, Freud, I, I don't, I don't uh, agree or, you know, I'm not aligned with everything that uh, all of Freud's work, but he would call it the superego, internal family systems, they call it the protector parts. You can think of it as your, con- higher, you know, your consciousness that, that, you know, which is also very socially oriented and socially driven. So it wants you to not do the wrong thing, to be psychologically safe. So there's a lot of good that comes with it as well. We would not want to totally not have that part of us. Otherwise, you know, we may not even realize we're not being sensitive to other people or we're not, you know, living by our highest standards. So there is definitely a place for it. It's just, are we, is it running the show 
or is it the real us or you know what we really want in life living in integrity with who we are which includes all these different parts of us that we have within ourselves but yes definitely perfectionism pleasing all these things they served a purpose and they still do they are they can be our superpowers i like to call it because those are the things that help us stand out and do our best work if used in the right way in the right situation for example being a pleaser also makes you very aware of how other people are feeling and you can understand that and that's a huge superpower to have so is perfectionism it makes you conscientious it makes you diligent about what you do it makes you get up and go to the gym if that is what you want to do rather than not doing it i mean you know there is there are so many things that we do because of them it's just how we use it and are they driving the show or are we driving the show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And sometimes it's, it seems like both are, you know, at the same yes. time. It's amazing how, you know, if you look at parts work, how many parts can be in the living room at the same time? It's like a whole committee in there. Um, right? Yeah. Which is why, you know, usually I like to begin with the question of what do I really want here? Like, what does my future self want? What does my bigger self want? What does my true self want? Or whatever it is. And then you can say, okay, given that this is what I want, how do I take all parts of me with myself? <laughs> the yeah. one that doesn't want to get out of bed and the one, you know, all of those, right? And so then you just build little rewards and you break it down small if, you know, one day you're really not up to it or, you know, all of those things which just help us, like you said, live with this very uh, <laughs> confusing and very difficult brain of ours, which we mm-hmm. use, but yeah. Yeah. So in my 20 years of coaching people, I have definitely noticed that perfectionism shows up more in women than men. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I think it's there's so many factors, right? So for one, we do have a louder inner critic just because of biology. I mean, you know, if you think about it, hunter-gatherer times, women were responsible for, you know, for more the group versus going out and hunting. And so with that came a, a louder inner critic simply because, you know, if something went wrong, then it wasn't just them, but more people who were going to be harmed. And then, you know, a sensitive nature. Uh, Women do tend to be personality-wise more sensitive, more agreeable by nature. So all of those things, all of the little imprints that life puts on us, whether it is our very early years or the things that happen to us later, we just more sensitive, more aware of them, and we take them more to heart. So all of, yeah, as a result of all of those things, we have a louder inner critic uh, and and thus more perfectionism, more ways of, you know, saying I need to be good here. I need to be perfect here. I need to not let other people down and harder on ourselves if we feel we did it. Mm, Yeah, I, I feel too that most women and especially mothers carry a heavier mental load. Mm hmm than men traditionally. Mm-hmm. I really feel like that factors in as well because there's so much that we feel responsible for. Mm-hmm. And it's like that part of our brain that just like wants to think of everything, wants to do everything. It it just sort of kicks that perfectionism into gear. I think yeah. there's also the, in the collective for the past few generations, this whole like women can do it all thing. thing. 
which I have found in my own life, especially after having my daughter, is a bunch of baloney. Yes. <laughs> totally, totally, a hundred percent. I mean, you know what? When I, so when I did my research on areas of contingency for self-worth for women, I mean, we have so many of them, like so many, like our, um, you know, families and who you are as a mother and who you are as a partner and who you are at work and everything. And are you young and are you sexy? And are you, I mean, all of those things, all so many areas where we feel that we need to be perfect. And plus society, or oh, you're absolutely right about the effects of society. One, it expect it expects it of us uh, from the very early years. Those are the messages that we're getting in every ad that you see and everything that comes your way. And plus, even look at workplaces. I mean, workplaces have higher expectations of women. They're less forgiving for mistakes that women make versus the ones that men make. So, you know, everywhere we are getting the message that, you know, if you need to survive in this world, if you need to be perfect, you need to somehow meet these standards. So, yeah, all of the, there's so many influences on us. It is really a work of a lifetime, actually separating ourselves from these messages, seeing where they're helpful, where they're not helpful, and living in alignment with what we truly want our lives to be about. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. And I think when we're juggling so many things in the air, it, it's like, uh, you don't actually feel like you're doing any one thing well. And so I feel like we try to overcorrect and that does the perfectionism thing. It's like, okay, well, I, you know, don't feel like I've been as present at work because now I'm a mom. Okay. But I'm going to like work extra hard or something or put in extra long hours here because, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing great at it. So it's, we try to overcorrect it, which leads to more perfectionism. And I'm hoping that, you know, as new generations come in for women, we really can change the conversation on the whole having it all conversation and the whole boss babe conversation and all of that. Mm. And really like honor seasons of life. Yes. Like, okay, what season are you in right now? Okay. So in this season, these are your priorities and this is what you need support with. And this is what you're going to say no to. And this is the season you're in. And I feel like now it's just this one big season of supposing to be superwoman. And no wonder we have an increasing number of women on thyroid medication and antidepressants and anti-anxiety and sleeping pills and all that, because we're just not designed to live like this in any way, shape or form. We're not. We're not. Uh, I mean, even in philosophy of these two approaches to life and one is top down and one is bottom up and the top down is just patriarchal in nature. And it worked when Life was very simple. You know, you just had two choices or, you know, there was a right and there was a wrong. And it never worked for women anyway, because we have so many areas of we're so paradoxical by nature. There are so many things that that are important to us. And it has to begin from within. It has to begin exactly like you said, what what seed is in the right seed. You know, what is the season in my life right now? What is the seed that wants to actualize right now like you know give birth and let me just focus toward that and it could be a self-care it could be that book you want to write it could be a certain relationship it could be anything but you know everything just doesn't erupt altogether yeah that's so true so true so I think another thing that so many of us get hooked into 
especially at a young age, is validation and praise. And I have had so many clients who or people in our courses who really thought that their lovability came from their doing and not from their being because they only got attention or praise or love when they were good, when they did something. They didn't get a lot of that love and praise for just being. Mm -hmm. And so of course, then we become, for lack of a better word, addicted to Mm -hmm. getting that that praise and validation from the outside world because we all want to feel loved. Mm -hmm. And so we keep doing and trying to be perfect and all those things. So I'd love for you to walk us through how we can unhook from that, that desire for praise and also from the collapse we feel from criticism. Because the other side of that is when we do feel rejected or we do feel feel criticized in any way. It's like a death. It's like the worst thing in the world. So it's like plug into praise and criticism, but oh my gosh, if there's any rejection or, I mean, plug into praise and validation, but if there's any rejection or criticism, it's like, I'm I'm dead. So can you break this down for us a little bit? For that approval seeking, yeah, that, that comes from, like you said, from those early, you know, those experiences that we have. And again, as women, like I said, women tend to have, you know, on very large scales, but they tend to have um, more agreeable natures. So we feel, yes, we are relational by nature as well. We feel happier when people notice, and that's not a bad thing. But, you know, it is, where does it come from? Is it going down an empty hole because you cannot give that validation to yourself? And so you just seek more and more of it. Or, you know, you can take it, You can it can help you feel good, and that actually helps you grow, it helps you learn, and it, it just creates those upward spirals. So you know, criticism or praise, when you receive it, you just have to, again, and again, I'll go back to the RISE model. You just have to restore calm. Like, first of all, just recognize whatever noise there is in your head and whatever you're saying to yourself with praise. And for a lot of women, when we get praise, the first thought is, oh, I'll be found out to be a fraud. Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. the that it wasn't actually good. And what do I need to do next time? Oh my God, now how do I meet those standards? And with criticism, it is just beating down on yourself or getting, you know, or blame or whatever it is. You know, it is so dependent on how we grew up, how we responded in those years, that it is very individual. So basically, you just restore calm. You just silence that voice in your head because now it's running at 100 miles an hour. There is no point arguing with it. Whatever you say, it'll come back with something else. So just silence that voice. You can address it later, but right now just silence it. And then you just inquire what's going on. Like, what am I feeling? What is the real fear here? Why am I feeling this way, et cetera, et cetera. So try to get, you know, more toward the bottom of it. And then you can just calm whatever you're feeling, address that, understand the sources of that feeling. Sometimes all you need to do is just understand, oh, this is where the feeling comes from. I don't need to, then there's nothing more to do. I can just let go of it. It's not Mm -hmm. serving the purpose here. And sometimes you need to do more. Again, it is just so dependent on every situation. And then say, okay, what do I want here? What is the purpose here? And how am I going to meet that? 
you know, what is the action that I need to take? What's important here? So, for example, sometimes with praise, if you're feeling that there's not enough praise here or that you're getting that feeling of, you know, being a fraud or something, but you just say, okay, you know what? Let me let that praise sink in. What did they say? How does that make me feel? How is that aligned with what I really want to achieve? So kind of take the praise, but let it go down you in a way that it kind of builds your own container so that the praise lands in it. So you're taking it, taking it in, uh, taking it in when people notice, when you get praise, instead of trying to get more of it, you're actually allowing that to sink in. It goes down into your implicit memories. And with criticism, what you're doing is once you've identified where, why you're feeling the way you do, you just say, okay, you know what? You've taken the moral blow out of it. And now you're just saying, okay, what is the right action here? What do I need to do? How do I actually, now that I've thrown out, you know, what do they say? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So now what is the important thing here? I've let mm -hmm. go of all the noise around it. What is the important thing here? What am I trying to achieve? Who is the person giving me that feedback? Do they even know what I want to achieve, et cetera, et cetera? How can I engage them or how can I let go of their criticism? Like I said, Christine, every situation is so different. But then, you know, if mm -hmm. we just remember two or three things, that's the first thing to do. The very first thing to do is silence the voice in our heads because it is overreactive. There could be some truth to what it's saying, but we will not know until we silence it. We put it aside. We say, go sit on that couch there if you want. Let me first address the core issue here. Mm, I love that. Then I'll talk to you. Yeah. So that is the very first step. Then you address the core issue, which is, you know, whatever you're feeling deep inside your implicit world. You calm that down because unless you do that, it is just keep keep it is going to keep coming up again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And then you say, okay, what is the wise action here? Mm, mm. And it's practice. It takes practice. Practice. Just, oh my God, sure. it takes practice because when you're in the midst of it, you just can't think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. You, you Which know, is why so the first thing is stop thinking. Just right. right. Drop it all. It, there is so much peace that comes with that. Yeah. So true. Uh, well, as we start to wrap up here, I'd love to dip into confidence. So in your book, you talk about the difference between fragile confidence and optimal confidence. Mm -hmm. What is the difference? Yeah, there's just one key difference. It is your implicit beliefs. It is your implicit beliefs. Because the thing is, in fragile confidence, fragile confidence is when you feel good, when you're dependent on external feedback, when you're dependent on praise or success or, you know, approval or whatever it is, and you feel confident when you get it. Mm. Well, presentation goes great and you feel really confident coming out of there. But the next time it doesn't go that well, you know, you slip into self-doubt and whatever, self-criticism and the rest. And even when it goes great, yes, you walk out of it temporarily feeling confident. But then, like I said, all the imposter syndrome and all of that comes in. It shows up slightly differently for men because men, you know, one, they don't have that loud of an inner critic. And they also get a lot of external validation, especially in workplaces and even in society generally. So for them, it can show up as more sometimes, uh, you know, hubris 
pomposity of obnoxiousness it can again i'm talk, talking in general generalities but for women fragile confidence can dip into low confidence and then back into fragile confidence because then they put in raise the bar on themselves put in extra work if it goes well then you feel confident Whereas optimal confidence is just confidence, which comes, it's inner confidence. So yes, you can feel bad when things don't go well. You can feel, you know, upset that you hurt somebody, et cetera, et cetera. But it does not change how you, what you believe about yourself, your relationship with yourself. So you still feel you're worthy. You still feel that you can face whatever challenges come in the way of your worthwhile goals. You can still do all of that because deep down you you have that trust with yourself. You have that trust that you are a good person and you have that trust that you can deal with whatever comes, uh, the challenges that come your way. These are the two components of uh, optimal confidence, that sense of belonging and that sense of mastery. And uh, when you have that sense of self-trust, when things go well, yes, you feel great. I mean, you, everyone feels great, but it's not like you want everyone to notice and you want more praise or you're afraid that what will happen next time. None of that because you're standing on solid ground. And so whatever external feedback that you get just keeps it fuels that confidence. It feeds into it and it, it creates those lovely upward spirals. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I, I have to say, after moving from more of that fragile confidence that came from really feeling like I needed to prove myself mm-hmm. to more optimal confidence, it really is liberating not to care so much what people think. I mean, I'm yeah. still human. I definitely still care at times, but it is way, way less. And there's just a knowing of ourselves, like really knowing who we are that I feel comes from that type of confidence as well. So thank you for that framework. I think it's helpful to to have it laid out like that. And for many people listening, kind of see where you are on the spectrum, because it's yeah. not like an overnight shift, right? We sort of move. Not at all, not at all. And you know, life is not lived in a dojo or something. We're always uh, being bombarded by external stimuli, experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, it's not even easy to kind of uncover the layers and understand what's going on unless we kind of make it more of a regular practice to sit back right. and think about these things. But yeah, definitely. I mean, the only way that we actually do get to the implicit world is not through our heads, but changing our relationship with ourselves and creating a more, a kinder, more empowered relationship, being our own cheerleaders, forgiving ourselves for our mistakes, uh, being happy to take it step by step rather than (laughs) perfect. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, these are all just beautiful reminders. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for for being here on the show today. People can go and get your book, Goodbye Perfect, How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. Love that title and subtitle. How else can people connect with you? My website, it's called humairakabir.com. Basically my first name, last name. And yeah, that's that would be a wonderful way to connect with me. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for your wisdom. Thank you, Christine. It's been lovely being on your show.